Hello, and welcome to the Her Head in Films podcast. I'm your host, my name is Caitlin. In this podcast, I share my personal thoughts and feelings about cinema. If you're new to the podcast and you don't know who I am, as I said, my name's Caitlin. I'm a writer, I'm a blogger, I consider myself a dreamer, I'm someone who loves literature, art, poetry, and in the last few years, I have really developed an obsession with cinema, especially art house and world cinema. And I live in a rural area where I don't really have the ability to connect with other cinephiles. I don't have like a art house theater or anything like that where I live. So I created this podcast really as an outlet for all my thoughts and feelings about the movies that I watch. This is really a podcast that celebrates the personal, the subjective. Doesn't mean I don't talk about larger issues in films, but I always weave in my analysis of a film with my own life and my own experiences, if if there are any that connect to the film in question. If you're wondering about the title, it comes from an email. Um, the, the title of the podcast, Her Head in Films, it comes from an email fr- that I sent a friend a few years ago. And in that email, it was during a time I was really obsessed with films. But that's sort of all the time now. And I said that my head isn't in the clouds, my head is in films. And it became sort of this joke or something. And so when I got to thinking about starting a podcast, that email Im- immediately came to mind. Because I think it really captures how I feel about films and how I'm always thinking about them and how they really have become part of my life in many ways. So this podcast does have a Patreon. I have to pay to keep the podcast going. So Patreon is where people who create things, um, their listeners or their supporters can help to sustain whatever they're doing. You can find it at patreon.com slash herheadandfilms. I have myriad rewards um, that you can get um, at different price points. You can get access to um, a mini podcast that I do, also about films, but the episodes are shorter. They're about 10 to 15 minutes. I've done about three of those, and you can get instant access to those. Um, You can recommend a film to me, and I'll watch it, and I'll review it on the podcast. You can get a card in the mail from me. Um, You can vote on things that I'm going to review. So there's all all kinds of ways that you can be part of the podcast, if you would like. And um, for one of the rewards, you get a shout-out in each episode. So I would like to do my shout-outs. I would like to do a shout-out to... Carolyn, Jesse, and Michelle, thank you all very much for being patrons of the podcast and for helping to support and sustain it. So, Carolyn, Jesse, and Michelle, thank you so much. Up front, I do want to say that there will be spoilers in this episode. When I talk about films, I tend to want to be able to talk about them freely without worrying if I'm giving something away. Today's episode is about Blue is the Warmest Color. It's by Abdul Atif. 
Cachiche. It was made in 2013. It's set in France, and it was the winner of the Palme d'Or at the Cannes Film Festival in, I think, 2013. The Palme d'Or um, was actually not just given to the direct, not just given to Kashish, but it was also given to the co-stars of the film, Leia Seydoux and Adele Exarpelo. Um, I hope I'm saying that right. Um, I went on YouTube and tried to find a video where somebody was pronouncing it. <clears throat> so, this film... <clears throat> sorry. <clears throat> this film was actually patron-recommended. So, one of the patrons, um, as a reward, uh, got to recommend a film to me. And I watched it, and I'm going to review it. And so they chose blue as the warmest color. I have already seen it. I watched it in 2013. Um, but I rewatched it to do this episode about it. So I just finished the film. I broke it up into two parts. Because um, it's a three hour film. And that can sometimes be a lot for me. <laughs> so um I watched like I, I watched half yesterday and then I just finished it tonight. And I tell you, um it's a journey this film if if you've seen it. It's it's very intense. It's very you definitely feel like you've gone on this whole journey um with these characters. Before I get into the meat of the film, I do have to acknowledge some things. There was a lot of controversy around this film when it was first released in 2013. It did win the Palme d'Or at Cannes, as I said, and the actresses Leia Seydoux and Adele um, also won um, the Palme d'Or. It's usually just given to the director, I believe. Um, so you can't really talk about this film without talking about the controversy. And so I do want to dig into that a bit because it is a part of this film. It's part of the life of this film. So um, <clears throat> the main issue is the treatment of the actresses, especially Leia and Adele. And Leia Seydoux has been the most vocal, really, about what happened on the set. This is a film that was um, for all intents and purposes, grueling for these actresses. It was only supposed to be maybe take about a month or two for it to shoot. It ended up stretching into six months of shooting. Um, Kashish is a notoriously difficult director. He has a particular reputation, I think. And he has that reputation because he does lots of takes. So some of the scenes in this film... There could have been at least a hundred takes done. And that takes a toll on the actresses. It takes a toll on the crew. And in particular, a huge controversy of this film has been the sex in it. The sex scenes. It has been graded at NC-17. Because in the middle, it comes right smack in the middle almost. There is an explicit sex scene between Leia and Adele. Um, because this is a, a film that's about lesbians, about homosexual desire. And um, that's not necessarily what's controversial, but 
some people thought the scene was was maybe pornographic some people thought it was not authentic blue is the warmest color is actually based on a graphic novel and the writer of the graphic novel came out and said that she felt like the sex scenes were not authentic that what needed to be on set were, were some actual lesbians so a lot of people see the some of the sex scenes in the film as pretty laughable and um, they don't think it's like an authentic portrayal of lesbian sex that it's it's lesbian sex filtered through the male gaze through the straight male gaze the sex scene in particular was grueling it I think she said Leia said that it took like 10 days perhaps to film that one scene um, she said she felt like a prostitute she said she felt perhaps pushed too far and having to do things that she wasn't comfortable with um, both actresses have said that they would never work with Kashish again that it was a terrible experience for them all around um, so I think when you talk about this film I think you do have to talk about how the actresses were treated I think in general not just in Hollywood but in film in general male directors are given a certain certain amount of power a certain amount of latitude they are indulged their eccentricities and idiosyncrasies are very indulged um, they can act very badly and do very terrible things and be excused for it because they're called geniuses or they're called eccentric when really they're just being assholes and they're just treating people terribly so many things are problematic about the film I will admit that but I want to make an argument for this film and I'm gonna say this this is just my opinion I am not a film scholar I'm not um, I'm I'm not anyone who's like ultra academic or intellectual this is just my experience of the film how I felt about it um, I think there's a lot of things we consume that are problematic there is a lot of movies and film movies and books and music and TV shows that have um, unsavory aspects to them but I don't think that those things should be automatically thrown out every time unless it's just so egregious you know I mean I have like a huge deal with like D.W. Griffiths you know the birth of a nation I like I will not watch that because um, I just find it so odious but I think when it comes to blue is the warmest color I think what we need to do is to watch it thoughtfully I think we need to register those issues and those controversies but also perhaps try to see what else this film also offers I do think we do a disservice when we reduce this film to just the sex scenes um, to allow their authenticity or lack thereof to completely turn us against the film and to the other things that it is saying and showing so this is a film that centers a teenage girl's subjectivity her experience in the world and her sexuality I think I think what happens is that how do we talk about female sexuality sexuality of young girls you know teenagers without being exploitative you know um, 
it's difficult. There's a fine line. It's like, how do you show a woman's sexual desire um, without sexualizing her? You know, girls do have sexual feelings. I had sexual feelings from a very young age. Um, girls have wants and they have desires. And I think there has to be a way to discuss that without without saying, well, you know, we're sexualizing girls or it's like, how do we create that space? And what does it mean when it's filtered through the male gaze, through a male director? And I think that's all very important. And there was a reviewer in the New York Times that took issue with the film for that reason. She felt like Kashish, I think, was exploiting Adele, was focusing on her body, on uh, like her, her butt in particular. That was a part of the review. Um she took offense to how the male gaze um, is part of the film. So, and I think all of that is valid. And I agree with all of that. I I would never say that none of that's important. But there are other things about this film that I really like. And when I first watched it in 2013, I went into it with a lot of preconceived notions I had heard all of the critiques and all of the controversies. And so it's a film sometimes I think that you go in with a lot of baggage and a lot of expectations or a lot of, and I think I was very surprised at what I saw and how much I connected to it, how much I did like it, even while I acknowledged some of the not so great parts of it. So it's one of those films I think we have to, hold all of that at once that there are problematic things about it you know and then there are also worthwhile things about it so this film is about a 15 year old girl named Adele originally in the graphic novel her name is Clementine I believe but Kashish decided to change the name to Adele because of his actress Adele and um so immediately with this film, it is the inner world and the inner life of a young girl. There are close-ups of Adele's face. It, really, the whole film is close-ups of Adele and her face. And I think she gives a really tremendous, extraordinary performance in this film that I will talk more about in a moment. And what I, I loved, I immediately connected to her. I just... I'm one of these people, I actually love close-ups in films. Like, I get really frustrated with certain directors who always want to keep you at a distance from the characters. And that's actually something you see a lot in cinema today. And even some of my favorite directors do this, you know. Um, Abbas Kiarostami, some of his films, there's some long shots there, and there's not as many close-ups as you would maybe want, or... or um. I don't know. I can't think of like specific directors right now. But um I love a close up. Like I for me I think so much of cinema is about an actor's face and about the way actors communicate emotion through their bodies, through their um body language, the gestures that they make. I mean, I myself sort of wish I was an actress. I would love to be one I think if I had maybe had another life I would have because I feel like actors really feel very deeply I think they're very empathetic people 
I just think it's amazing what they do in terms of inhabiting another person. You know, I think it, I think it takes very, a very deep reservoir of empathy in order to do that. And think of how some of them will take on characters who are quite unsavory and they have to find some humanity in those characters. I think of someone like Nicole Kidman or Kate Blanchett or, you know, those are a few of my favorite actresses or Isabel Hubert or Marion Cotillard. So they really dig deeply, I think. And um, so this film is all about Adele. It's all about her face. It's her twirling her hair, her eating spaghetti with sauce all over her face, her hair disheveled for the most part. It's so authentic uh, because I felt like that's how a young girl is. Like her hair's disheveled. She's messy. She's, I mean, that's sort of how I guess I felt as a young girl. I didn't feel like she was immediately sexualized. She's fully clothed. I mean, I, I, I didn't feel that. I'm just going to be honest. Not immediately, not from the outset, you know, I just love how there's just something messy about her and lost about her too. I think it just pulls you in and it feels so real. And she's awkward. I love that too. And she just feels like an ordinary teenage girl. Um, from a working class family. Um, like I said, this is about her face, not necessarily her body. I mean, that comes later, where there are a lot of nude scenes. I'm going to be honest here. Um, but, but her face is front and center for me, about how her face registers emotion, how she sees the world and reacts to it through her eyes and her facial expressions. I think Adele's acting is natural. I think it's raw. And as I said earlier, it's extraordinary. She acts as though she's not acting. As though there is not a camera on her. There's no self-consciousness. You know, it's just the power of her face and her presence on screen. Like recently I watched this really great film by Philippe Garel, who's Louis Garel's father. And it was called Les Old Solitude. And it had Jean Seberg in it. She was sort of the primary person in it. And it was in the early 70s. It might have been 1974, just a few years before she died. And it's a silent film. It's a black and white film. And it's just her face for most of the film. It, it, it alternates with another actress. I don't know her name. And it's just Jean Seberg's face for like an hour or more. You know, just her crying or her looking into the distance or her and and you just see every emotion that washes over her face and she was very raw she was very vulnerable and it's just a silent film it's it's a complete sort of just reveling in the face of of this actress i felt like and i was absolutely riveted the entire time and so when i saw adele in this film it brought back memories of that and it made me think just how powerful Adele's acting was. I cannot believe she did this film when she was a teenager. She's 23 now. And the film came out four years ago. So she was about 18 years old when she did this film. And I just think it's phenomenal what she was able to do. And I love that scene when she sees Leia Seydoux's character who's named Emma. So I'm going to call her Emma um, for the rest of the review. 
she's Adele's crossing the street Emma's crossing the street Emma has blue hair I guess that's where the title comes from blue is the warmest color and the two of them lock eyes and it's just they are instantly attracted to each other it's sort of the mystery of attraction and it's like love or lust at first sight and you can see it on Adele's face everything about her changes when she sees Emma she doesn't know her name yet she doesn't know her but she just sees this girl and um there's just such a beautiful texture about this film and you know with that scene when she sees Emma I mean it really this film is about how how lives crash into each other how people enter our lives and change us change us forever for good and for bad and those connections that take place um Adele is sort of immediately disoriented and dazed by her first sight of Emma um, she almost steps into traffic she's just so under the spell and dazed as I said but she's someone who's also really conflicted and I would say she sort of lives in a daze most of the time she doesn't understand what she wants or what she desires she has a boyfriend she flirts with boys um, but you can tell she's not totally into it and she's at that stage in her life where I think a lot of teenagers get where especially if you're a queer teenager or a gay teenager where you're realizing that you don't maybe see the world in the same way or you don't feel things in the same way or perhaps you're attracted to, to different people and um and I think that's that's an important aspect of this that I'll go into more later. I want to just linger for a moment <laughs> on Adele and how she eats in this film. And like I, I've tweeted about this already, those of you who follow me on Twitter, but I have to talk about it. I really could spend this entire episode just talking about how she eats and how she puts her hair up. And... <laughs> Like, I, I feel like I'm almost infatuated with Adele in a way. But that is her charisma on screen, I think, is that she just immediately pulls you in. But I love how she eats. She actually eats like a real person with her mouth hanging open, with food on her face. Um, and then there's later, there's another, she, there's a scene where she's with her family, they're eating spaghetti, and it's like all over her face. And then there's another scene where she meets her boyfriend and she's eating this wrap, like, you know, a wrap. And um, she's just stuffing it in her face. It's so messy. It's so real. It's so, like, she's not self-conscious about it at all, you know. Again, it's like she's acting without acting. And I don't know how you do that. It's very hard. You know, immediately when there's a camera on you, you're going to act differently, and Adele, I think, was brave in the way that she acted and how she was able to strip her inhibitions. And I wonder if that came about because of all the takes. I mean, if you're doing 100 takes of a scene, at some point you're just going to break down, right? I mean, you can't keep doing it over and over again. Like, it's going to break you down in some way, I think. But at the same time, I will say this. 
I loved watching her eat. And I thought it was just glorious. Because so many times we watch a film or we watch a TV show and they don't eat. It's like, or they'll eat a salad. Or it, it's not true to life. It's just not how it works, I think. Um, and so that's why I loved it. But I mean, I think we could ask the question too. Who gets to be seen eating? Because she is thin. She is beautiful. She is attractive. You know, if, if she was larger... You know, or if she was a fat woman or a fat girl, um, that would not be acceptable for her to sit there and stuff her face. So this is certainly a behavior that's attached to certain bodies. And so it's it's quaint and it's so cute when a white pretty girl is eating all this food and never gains weight and has food all over her face. But if, if um, you know, if a fat woman was to do that and had food all over her face and she would be called all kinds of names and she would be judged and so Adele's beauty really allows her to get away with certain kinds of behavior like having messy hair or having food on her face or you know because she's beautiful those things are seen as beautiful or whereas if another person was doing it it wouldn't be seen as quite so cute so I will say that she gets away with a lot of stuff because she's so gorgeous, you know. And I think the first time that Adele starts to realize maybe that she has homosexual feelings um, is when she has a dream about Emma, about, you know, this girl with this blue hair. And it's a sexual dream and she starts to masturbate and... It's a very erotic scene, I thought. And, you know, girls do masturbate. And that's okay. Um, you don't see it on screen a lot, you know. But young girls do do that. Um, but you can tell that she's very confused by her feelings. Her Like, she wakes up from the dream. And, and her eyes sort of well up. And I don't think she fully understands why she desires another woman. It felt like to me like she had possibly never felt this before or maybe this was sort of a new a new sexual awakening for her. But there is a scene where she has sex with her boyfriend and you can tell that she's not happy with it. Um she doesn't enjoy it. It because it really his pleasure is centralized and prioritized rather than hers. You know, he does his business and it's over with. And you can tell that she's really uncomfortable, I think, with that dynamic of that power dynamic of him having pleasure, but her not having pleasure. And I think she really hungers for pleasure. You know, you can see it in the way she eats and she hides chocolate under her bed. And she's something, I guess you would almost call her hedonistic in a way, because she's very sensual and she likes food and she likes skin and she likes eating and she has hunger and she has appetite and she wants her appetite to be satiated and I don't think it is with him at all and she does say later that she's faking it that there's something missing and so she knows inside that something something's wrong there and she does break up with him, obviously. She does have this interaction with the girl at school that's really heartbreaking. Like, this girl's telling her that she's cute and she's pretty and the two of them kiss. 
and then the next day when Adele tries to act on this new knowledge of this girl, you know, and sort of come on to her and kiss her again, the girl rebuffs her and rejects her and says, oh, I was just kidding, you know. So you can tell that, like, in France, in in high school, obviously, that people still don't feel comfortable being open about queer sexuality, you know, that's anything that's outside of sort of the heteronormative um, narrative there. But Adele and Emma do come in contact again at a, actually I think it's a gay bar or a lesbian bar. So she actually comes across Emma and Emma shows up at her school like the next day or a few days later. And that's when they start their sort of connection. And Adele finds out that Emma is an artist. She likes to draw. She likes to paint. She's interested in art. She's actually in college studying fine arts. Um, but of course, the next day, her friend saw Adele with Emma. And Emma is is visibly queer or, or looks queer. Um she doesn't try to hide it. She's very open about it. She's very, I think, proud of it. And, and she's not apologetic. She's not trying to hide it. And Adele's friends sort of confront her and they say, why are you with this dyke? Um, they're very homophobic. One girl loses it because her and Adele had like slept in the same bed together. And so now she thinks that Adele is a lesbian and that, um, I guess she feels sort of, I don't know. She just loses it. She starts to attack Adele, you know, verbally. And then Adele physically attacks her and Adele sort of insistent that she's not a lesbian because obviously if she admitted she was a lesbian, she would lose her friends. She would probably be stigmatized and ostracized at school. So she's living in a society or in a community that is profoundly homophobic. And I think that's why this film is also important that I think a lot of young women who are queer, who are gay, I would think that some of them can relate to this. They can relate to being a teenage girl who is having these feelings and doesn't know what to do with them, doesn't know what they mean, doesn't know how to explore them, is ashamed of them probably because they're told that it's wrong and it's sinful and it's that it's just not acceptable. So I think Adele is really struggling with her sexual feelings. But I think that's why her relationship with Emma becomes so important is that Emma is the first person that she can explore those feelings with, that she can explore another woman's body, that she can kiss a woman and be with a woman and she can discover pleasure. You know, I mean, that's what... I mean, that's very much connected with sexuality and pleasure and connection and intimacy. And I think 
you know, when you're deprived of those things, I think it's very painful and it's very isolating. And so Emma awakens her. Emma allows her to be who she wants to be. So, yeah, there's this beautiful saying, like, it's interesting because Adele asks Emma, like, when was the first time she tasted a girl? And she means the kissing, but I thought that was so interesting to describe it as tasting. Like, it just interested me. It sort of, I think it uh, sort of connected to Adele's hunger and her appetite in a way. And the two of them kiss, I think, for the first time. And they're just, they're just laying in the grass. They're just staring at each other. And I mean, everybody talks about the sex scene, the seven minute sex scene in the middle of the film. And yes, it's graphic. And I I thought it was pretty laughable, personally. And I'm going to talk more about it later on. But the scenes that capture me the most with this film are the quiet scenes. The quietly erotic, sensual scenes. The scenes of passion. The scenes of love. Like when Emma and Adele are just laying in the grass staring at each other. I thought that was incredibly erotic. You can tell that Adele is just intoxicated by Emma. She's falling in love. This is a film about first love. About falling in love. That is what it is about. This is such a sensual film, too. As I said earlier, it's this, these textures. There's a texture to this film. It's about tasting, eating, kissing, licking, touching. It's sensual. It's about bodies and skin and desire. And yeah, there's just something so sensual about it. The close-ups of the faces, close-up of eyes and skin and and body parts. And I, I liked that about this scene. So let's talk about the sex scene. <laughs> It's about seven minutes. It's in the middle of the film. For you perverts that want to go find it. I'm just joking. But uh, it's on Netflix. It felt off to me. It's like there were, there were some good scenes in this film where there was something passionate. There was something erotic there. And then you have this graphic sex scene where they're both naked. They're in different positions. They're... You know, they're doing cunning lingus and, you know, and different things like that. And, um, God, I feel so weird talking about sex. Are y'all weirded out about me talking about sex? <laughs> oh, my God. I'm like the last person that would even talk about this stuff. Um, I'm probably blushing and I don't even know it. But, um, I can't quite put my finger on it, but it just... It felt artificial to me, it, and it's obviously simulated, because all sex scenes in cinema are, are tend to be simulated. You're not getting sex itself, you're getting a recreation of sex. And this was something that happened when I watched Gaspar Noé's Love, which I think is also on Netflix. And this is like a 3D porn film, basically. Um... I hated it. Like, oh my God, I hated that film. I'm not a huge Gaspar Noé fan at all. I watched Irreversible too, and, ugh. but um, 
but I think Gaspar's film sort of fell into the same thing of even though it was real sex it was still it lacked something more and I felt like this scene lacked that I felt like it was just they were going through the motions it didn't feel erotic to me at all so I absolutely agree with critics of the scene um, it also felt very odd to me that if, if this is the first time Adele has ever been with a woman because she it, it seems to me like it was her first time she just automatically knew what to do that seemed very odd to me like Emma didn't have to show her anything didn't have to you know Adele just automatically knows what to do it, it felt like that wasn't really authentic um even though this is what everyone talks about, I don't think it's the strongest part of the film. If anything, I would argue it's the weakest. It doesn't work for me. And I do think that this scene is where we feel the male gaze the most. This feels like a lesbian. This feels like lesbian sex filtered through a male fantasy. This feels like what men, what straight men think that lesbians do. And, um,. I don't really think the scene is necessary or I feel like it could have been done in a better way. Um, as I said, the earlier scenes when Emma and Adele are just looking each at each other have more passion and desire and eroticism than the sex scene. Um, actually, the best part of the sex scene is when it's over and Adele is just laying there rubbing Emma's leg. Like, I thought that was like the best part. Like, the way she's sort of drinking in Emma's body and rubbing her skin and she seems so sort of entranced you know by Emma's leg and her skin and her body so I didn't care for the scene at all I just I thought it was laughable really and I thought it was really artificial and I mean, from what Leia said, Leia and Adele said that it took them 10 days to do the sex scene. It, it probably took like 100 takes. So I think you see that in it, that there's just something about the scene where the girls just seem exhausted or they just seem sort of zoned out or like they're going through the motions, really. And, and um, yeah, it just, it didn't work. It didn't work at all. So Emma and Adele go to a pride parade and I thought this was a really big moment for Adele because I think Adele has really been maybe trying to hide her sexuality and to see her at the pride parade it felt like maybe she was maybe sort of being more open about it and public about it you know and um, I just I love these quiet moments between Emma and Adele, like when they're kissing after the pride parade, lying in the grass looking at each other. I just, I love those moments. I think those are the moments when Adele and Leia Seydoux really shine as actresses, you know. So I really think Emma sort of helps Adele maybe come to terms a little bit more with her sexuality and um yeah I really do you know
and I thought it was interesting. There's this scene, there's these scenes where Emma and Adele go to each other's parents' house. So Adele goes to Emma's parents' house, and Emma comes from a very upper class bourgeois bourgeois um background. And I think class is something about this film that doesn't get talked enough about. I mean, we talk about the sexuality. And, you know, that's important. This is about queer sexuality. And I don't even know if I would say Adele is necessarily a lesbian. I would say maybe she's bisexual. And bisexual erasure is very real. You know, we, we want to put people in these boxes while you're either gay or you're straight. And I think there are a lot of people that just do not fit that, that... They like men, they like women, they like a variety of different kinds of people. And so I would I would just say Adele is queer and I would say she's possibly bisexual. <coughs> but class is also a big part of this film in that Emma is from an upper class, elite sort of background and Adele is not. Adele is working class. She's... Yeah, I mean, I think that's obvious. And when Emma's parents, they ask Adele what she wants to do. And she says she wants to be a school teacher. And they seem really sort of, I don't know, like unimpressed by that. Like sort of like, oh, you know, but Adele is very practical you know she wants to get a she wants to get a degree where she can get a job and she can provide for herself whereas emma is in school for fine arts she's studying art and i wouldn't call that necessarily a practical degree you know it's not easy to go into the arts or to go into academia and so i think you can start to see when they meet um the parents that there is this class difference and then later when Emma meets Adele's parents, um, they actually think Emma and Adele are just friends. So Adele hasn't even told them that she is with Emma sexually or that she's queer. And um, so this time it's more Adele's parents sort of questioning Emma like, well, what are you going to do with a fine arts degree? Like, and Emma says that she wants to be a painter, go into graphic design. And they're, when they ask her, oh, can you make a living at that? You know, they're much more practical minded than Emma's parents. Oh, and I have to talk about this scene. This is like my favorite scene of the whole film. One of probably one of my all time favorite cinema scenes ever. And that's Adele's 18th birthday. And that's when she has a birthday party. Her friends are there. And she dances to I Follow Rivers, which is such a great song. I love the remix and I love the original. And I absolutely adore this scene because I just love the way Adele dances in it. And she just seems to be in her own world. I mean, she's often really sad. There's like a sadness about her. But I think in this moment of dancing, she's just free. She's... It's just a moment of lightness, a moment in which she can lose herself in music. And I absolutely love teenage girls. Like, I love them. I think they're wonderful. I would, I, inside, I still feel like a teenage girl. You know what I mean? 
I love teenage girls dancing to pop music. I think it's wonderful. There's a great scene in Celine Sciamma's um, Girlhood, um, which is also a French film about teenage girls. And they're dancing to Rihanna's um, Diamonds. And it's absolutely wonderful. It's just this moment of like abandon. I'm going to take a swig of water. I love seeing teenage girls or young women just dance and be free and because that's what I did when I was younger. I loved to dance. I loved music. I loved pop music. I was all about Britney Spears. I still listen to pop music obsessively because pop music saves me. Okay. I listen to Lana Del Rey. I listen to Marina and the Diamonds. I listen to everybody and anybody. Taylor Swift, Beyonce, Rihanna. All of them are my queens and I just love them. I love pop music. I really do. Ellie Golding. Oh, hell yes, Ellie Golding. I love, love, love her. I was just listening to Delirium a few weeks ago and I got obsessed with that. Obsessed with that, that album. Oh, Katy Perry. Even though her latest album, Witness, is a train wreck and a mess. I hate it. Um, but Teenage Dream? Yes. Yes, yes, yes. I love Teenage Dream. I was in college when that came out. And I would take the bus places. And I would have my headphones on and I was cranking Teenage Dream. I will tell you that. Yes, I love pop music. <laughs> the only people I don't really listen to is I would say Selena Gomez. I don't really get into her. And Justin Bieber and Miley Cyrus. Those are just not my people. But give me Carly Rae Jepsen. Give me Lana Del Rey. Yes. Give, give me 90s. Give me Britney Spears and Christina Aguilera in the 90s. Give me TLC and In Vogue. Give me the girl groups. Give me Destiny's Child. Yes. Yes. That's all I'm going to say. But so I love this scene. I went on a huge tangent there. So I just love this scene of Adele dancing to pop music. Like it's just so real. It's so much a part of my own girlhood. So, and even my life now, I mean, I'm 27, but inside, and I'm about to turn 28 this month in July, and, um, it just, it filled me with joy. I just loved seeing her dance and, and lose herself and enjoy herself. So I would divide this film into two parts, really. The first half is really Adele falling in love with Emma, and her awakening to her sexuality, her awakening to her love for Emma. And then the second part of the film, the second half, is about the relationship, the nuts and bolts, the everyday grind of a relationship, how it goes, you know, when you first fall in love with someone and it's like this dream, it's like this dreamy state that you're probably in. And then you go into the to the everyday you know, living together, 
you know, dividing the chores, you know, being in a bad mood, you use the bathroom in front of each other or whatever. So you get into the reality of a person, right? You know, that someone can't be perfect all the time. You you get into really seeing who a person is. And there's this really important scene, I think, in the second half of the film where Adele holds a dinner party for Emma's friends. And I'm going to call them sort of artsy. They're very bourgeois. I cannot say that word, and yet it's the perfect word, bourgeois. I sound ridiculous saying these words, um, <laughs> but um, Emma is very connected to the art scene. She's very connected to the literary world and the art world, and her friends are very intellectual. They're very academic. Um... You know, Emma's friends, one of the friends asks Adele what she does. And when she says that she wants to be a teacher, she wants to be a school teacher, they seem really unimpressed. Like, they look bored. Like, so, like I said, they're very academic. They're sort of doing PhDs in philosophy and art. Um, and it's just really clear that Adele, with her working class roots, her more practical-minded personality her connection to like everyday people like in a school setting she's not in an academic setting in her life um it's just really clear that she doesn't fit into this intellectual elite wealthy world i mean these are people who have the luxury of pursuing higher education and getting these degrees that don't necessarily necessarily lead to practical or steady employment and that's not an option for adele adele has to Think about how she's going to um, support herself, you know. And it actually reminded me a bit of when I went to college. Um, I went a little later in life. I didn't go right out of high school. I waited till I was about 20. Um, because I just financially couldn't go. And I had to sort of wait. And when I went, and I went and I studied literature, so I didn't really do a practical degree either, but I studied literature and women's and gender studies because I really love feminism, and I liked the overlap between literature and women's and gender studies because I could take several classes about women writers who I really love, um, and modernist women writers at that, like Virginia Woolf, for example. Um, so when I went to college... I felt really out of place and I felt really alienated and I didn't feel smart. I didn't feel intellectual enough. Um, I thought, I really thought that I was going to love college. I really thought that like this was going to be my place and I was going to find my people and it just didn't happen for me and I felt really alienated and I, I didn't feel like I felt like I fit in with academia at all. Like, the jargon, the language of it, it, I didn't feel like it connected to my everyday life, to, to everyday life in general. You know, I couldn't get into theory, I couldn't, like I said, I could not get into the language and the jargon of it, and and you have that especially with feminist theory. You have that especially with literary theory. I just couldn't, I didn't take to it. You know, I, I did well in school. Um, 
I graduated magna cum laude and I had like a 3.8 GPA and you know I did really well in college I was on the honors and and you know the dean's list and the chancellor's list and all of that I mean I wasn't really trying to it just kind of happened you know and um but it just felt like everybody, especially in the women's and gender studies classes, it felt like everybody was going to pursue a career in academia, that all of them were planning for graduate school. And I, that wasn't really an option for me. Like, I knew that I had to graduate, that I had to get a job, and that I had to, you know, help my mom out and stuff. And I couldn't keep pursuing my education any further. I was already in a lot of debt. And, um... I needed to graduate, I needed to get a, like a better job and and um, try to help out financially for my family so it just, I, I didn't even know what I would study in graduate school, like I don't want to be a professor, I don't want to be a teacher because I have anxiety issues and I'm not able to do that. Um, so I just felt really like I just didn't fit. and. I don't know if I want to do graduate school. I, you know, I've thought more and more about it. Like if I ever did it in the future and I was like, well, maybe I, I would do film studies or something. But even then it's like, well, because I've started to develop this passion for cinema and it's almost sort of supplanted my obsession with literature a bit. I mean, they're both pretty strong. But then I think, well, what what would I do with this degree? You know, I'm very, I'm like Adele. I'm very practical. And I'm very like, well, how am I going to get a job with this where I live? I live in rural America. You know, these kinds of jobs don't exist unless you want to be a teacher, you know, at a college. So I feel very lost in a way. Like, I don't know what the hell to do, you know. I'm already in too much debt. It's like I can't take on more. It's like I, I don't know what to do. But it seemed like when I was in college, everybody knew. Everybody knew what they were doing. They knew exactly what they wanted to be. And 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 I, I didn't. I was lost. I was, you know, I didn't know what I wanted. Um, I didn't really understand academia. I didn't really understand how to navigate it. And, um, it just, it wasn't a great experience for me personally, but when I saw Adele interacting with Emma's friends, I related to her, you know, I related to how it felt to be around people who you, you didn't really know how to speak their language, you know, and I think even on the internet, like with especially literature and cinema, can be really dominated by academics. And I'm not knocking ap academics. It's wonderful. It's wonderful if you're able to go and and get, get a PhD or get a master's in, in film studies or in literature. And that's great, you know. But um, I don't approach film from an academic way. And that's why I made this podcast. That's why this podcast is about my personal feelings and thoughts. And, you know, I, I don't know the academic language surrounding film at all. I mean, I'd like to read some books and, and stuff like that. But theory just doesn't interest me as much as the way I experience a film. And, 
and how I can connect it to other things, both inside of myself and outside of myself. So larger issues like this film, I liked it on a personal level, but I also think it connects to issues of homophobia and, you know, things outside of us, things in, in culture and, you know, sexuality and coming of age and, you know, and all that stuff. I thought there was an interesting aspect of this where there's this scene where I think Adele and Emma are talking and Adele is really fulfilled by her relationship with Emma, whereas Emma needs something more than that relationship. She needs art, for example, to be happy. She, um, you know, Adele finds joy in love. She finds joy in intimacy and connection with other people, with her relationship to other people. And I think Adele feels like she isn't enough for Emma. That Emma also wants her to be something that she's not. Emma wants her to write. Emma wants her to be more literary and more artistic, I think. I think she's maybe a little bit embarrassed, you know, that Adele just wants to be a school teacher. I guess from, you know, Emma's more elite and upper class status, she sort of looks down on someone who, oh, you just want to be a school teacher. Oh, that's all. You don't want to, you know you don't want to pursue a degree in art history or, or philosophy. She's much more interested in, I guess, more intellectual things. And Adele isn't, you know, I mean, Adele is creative in her own way. She writes in her diary. She's a teacher. She, she can create stories. I think she's creative in her own way, but not in a, in a way that is marketable or is, you know, it, the, it, not in a way that fits in Emma's world and Emma's more elite upper class world. And I think that you start to see how their class difference and their age difference starts to create sort of these chasms in the relationship. That they see the world in different ways. And that Emma is older. And so Emma is a bit more mature and, and, and all of that. And I think, like I said, Adele just doesn't feel good enough and she feels very alone. And that's why she starts to stray and she has an affair with a guy at work. And that's ultimately what ends her relationship with Emma. There's this terrible fight between the two of them. And this is the heartbreak, the moment of heartbreak. And, um, and the loss of Emma. And um, it's a very powerful scene. But this is also a scene in which the actresses said that um, Kashish could be pretty brutal. Because there is a part of the scene when Seydou, Leia Seydou, um, hits Adele. And they probably did that scene dozens and dozens of times. And so Adele was basically being hit over and over and over again. And that was pretty brutal. It was pretty brutal for Adele. There's, an, there's another scene in this film that comes after the breakup. I think this film really lingers 
on the devastation that Adele feels from the breakup. You know, she cries a lot. She sort of has like a constant tear-splattered face. And um, she'll just sort of sit and like smoke a cigarette and look into space. And you can tell that she's, just as she was disoriented when she first met Emma, she's now completely disoriented by losing Emma and having to live a life without Emma. I think she says that during the breakup scene. She says, what do I do without you? She doesn't know what to do. But she's on this field trip with her students at the beach and she has a teacher to look after the kids and she goes out into the ocean and she floats on top of the waves and it's just this beautiful quiet moment you know so much of this film Adele, Adele has been alone she's felt alone even when she was with other people she doesn't really have friends we don't see her with anyone the only person she's with for a little while is Emma and then after Emma's gone, she goes right back to being alone again. Um, she's always on her own. She's walking around by herself. She goes about her day alone. And I think maybe that's part of what I connect to most about her is that loneliness that is about her. And just that that essential aloneness that she seems to have that she's just sort of drifting she sort of drifts through life. I don't think she really knows, you know, what to do, especially once she loses Emma. She doesn't, she doesn't necessarily have a direction that she's going in. I mean, she has the teaching. She teaches young children, and I think that gives her a sense of purpose. But overall, I just see her as a very lonely person, and... For a little while, she wasn't alone. She was with Emma, but even with Emma, she was alone. She says that. She says that during the breakup scene, that I, I felt alone, and that's why I cheated. Emma felt very far away at times. Emma's off, you know, pursuing her art and and doing all of that, and she didn't always have time for Adele. But I do get a sense that she enjoys teaching, that... She gets a sense of purpose and a sense of happiness from that. And that is at least something, you know. And, um, and then at the end of the film, Adele goes to an art exhibition that Emma is holding. And they're so distant now. You know, they, you know, they kiss on the cheek and they say, hey. And, you know, earlier in another scene, they had met again at a restaurant and had this very intense scene. And But in that scene, Adele finally had to come to terms with the fact that Emma didn't love her anymore. But then she goes and she sees her art exhibition, which is a really big deal for Emma. It's It's going to help her career. But they haven't seen each other in a while. And it made me think about how strange it is that you can share so much with someone, you know, your body and your thoughts and your life and your time. You know, I mean, I think Emma and Adele were together for several years at least. You know, you share space together. You share so much intimacy and you create a life with one another. 
and a life around one another that you are centered in that life together and then it's over you no longer know them you no longer have a relationship with them it's like it's just all gone it's <laughs> you can share so much and then you can just absolutely mean nothing to each other I mean I think Emma still means a lot to Adele but I don't think that Adele feels like she means a lot to Emma she still has very strong emotions for Emma I mean Emma was her first great love her first love the first person she deeply deeply fell in love with and got into a serious relationship with and it's just over <laughs> and I don't think Adele really knows how to deal with that and she's at the exhibition and of course Emma's friends are there you know and she still doesn't fit in she still doesn't fit into that world and and she immediately feels like an outsider that's also something I like I related to about Adele is that she always feels like an outsider she never feels like she's completely comfortable or completely like she fits in she has moments like when she was dancing to I follow to I follow rivers at her 18th birthday where she just felt really carefree and and happy and and really you know just sort of let loose but in a lot of ways she just seems like she's always on the outside and that's something I can definitely relate to but she just quietly leaves the exhibition she lights a cigarette she's walking down the street she walks back to her apartment and I don't know if a lot of people noticed but at the beginning of the film the first scene the opening scene is of her walking down a road and she's uh, it's a long shot and she's trying to catch a bus and that's how we first see her and then at the end it's like a similar scene of her just walking down the sidewalk into the distance and um she's sort of walking out of one part of her life and walking into another part and we don't know what the future holds for Adele we don't know what new part of her life is beginning or where it's gonna take her and I you know I didn't get the sense that she knew either that she um had any idea where her life is gonna go she's just walking she knows it's over with Emma she knows that's gone forever and so we don't know what's next for Adele and I think she's still drifting and I think she's still a bit lost and I think she's disoriented and I think she's still struggling to find her place if she ever does I don't think we necessarily always find our place and um yeah, yeah. it's really a film about searching for love and connection um, it's about falling in love and then falling out of love about how love fades and comes to an end 
it's about a girl's first love and of course her first heartbreak her first real loss and how that really devastates her and the film shows that I think it's about class I don't know if Emma and Adele could have stayed together they were from different worlds and they had different ways of looking at the world I don't think Adele ever would have felt like she fit in with Emma's friends or Emma's world it's really coming of age you know and you know Adele's sort of trying to find herself and searching for herself but I don't I don't know if she ever does find that I don't know if we ever do I mean that phrase is so overused isn't it I don't know if we ever find ourselves um, I think she's just living she's just she's just a young ordinary girl just making her way falling in love making mistakes making a mess out of things she doesn't always know what to do or what the right decision is she's lost she's drifting but she's also very sweet very sensual she hungers for love and connection and intimacy You know, sex is just one part of this film. I don't think it's the entirety of it. You know, I think like I've just listed, there's a lot of other things going on. And I think to reduce it to the sex, um, I think it does a disservice because I think what Adele does in her performance is really bring this young girl to life and make her real and make her flesh and blood you, know, you feel like this is any girl that you could meet or that this was you as a girl you know in some ways I just I think it's an extraordinary performance on the part of Adele especially because she carries the film she's in almost every scene and usually in very extreme close-up on her face and she conveys every emotion heartache lust pleasure <sighs> anger frustration hunger craving I mean everything I just think she could face so much with her performance and I think it will probably go down in history as one of the best I mean I've just never seen a teenage girl sort of embody a character like this and with such beauty and and depth I mean it's just it's deep there's a depth about it as I say in a texture that makes it very real and very I think natural in a way so I did like this film <laughs> I did I really did I didn't expect to when I watched it in 2013 I went in with a lot of preconceived notions and a lot of baggage but I think with some films you just need to go in and you need to decide for yourself what you think of it you know you have to come to that conclusion yourself you can't always listen to everybody else's opinions and and like I said I've acknowledged 
the problematic aspects of it and I've acknowledged the controversies of it um and I think like I said you can just watch this in a thoughtful way you can acknowledge the parts of it that are really weak and just not good in turn, like the sex scene in the middle and then I think you can see other parts of it like Adele dancing to I follow rivers or Adele floating in the ocean or Leia and Adele or Emma and Adele um, you know staring into each other's eyes and 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 falling in love with each other I mean there's a lot there and I, I have a feeling that like other teenage girls have probably watched this film and and felt like yeah I, I feel those things I've looked at girls that way or you know I think it might affirm for some people feelings that they have themselves and um and I think that's really powerful too to maybe see some aspect of yourself represented in a film doesn't mean it's perfect you know it doesn't mean that it doesn't have issues with it but I just I do think there's just something really beautiful about this film and especially about Adele's performance that's just like I said I, I could have just done a whole episode about her eating and her hair I mean her hair is just always a mess like there's like strands of it in her face it's almost like her hair is like this shield or this protection in a way She's always putting it up in a ponytail or taking it down from a ponytail. But I felt like that's what I do. Like, I put my hair up in a messy ponytail when I'm by myself and nobody's around, you know? I just felt like it was so real in a way. And yeah, sometimes when I'm eating by myself, I let food get all over my face. And sometimes my hair's oily and dirty, you know, just like hers is sometimes. And it just, she was real in that way, I think. But she also has this wonderful charisma, and you couldn't really take your eyes off of her. She has that presence on screen that's, I think, pretty rare sometimes. Well, I'm going to stop here. I think I've said everything I can about this film. Um, I hope I hope you find some value in it. I really do. But I'll stop here. Thank you for listening. I really do appreciate it. Until next time, keep watching great films. Bye for now.